from Daniel chapter 7. of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, <clears throat> Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. <clears throat> Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each coming from the others, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until his wings were torn off, <clears throat> and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted by it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know 
about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, <clears throat> this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the other earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Amen. God, I was blessed the reading of God's holy word. Come, Lord, lead us, teach us again. Disturbing visions, exciting visions. Help us, heal us, draw us into your life through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I, I am in my 13th day of caffeine sobriety. I uh, quit caffeine while I was in um, hunkered down trying to deal with the, you know, trying to get tested for COVID, make sure it was okay. I thought, well, now's a good time trying to take better care of myself and key for trying to lose weight and everything. Caffeine is a big part of that for appetite control and such. So I did cold turkey, no caffeine. And I'll tell you what, you want to have some crazy dreams? <laughs> I dreamed that I was late for, to perform Russell Wilson's wedding. <laughs> and I dreamed that the Seahawks Stadium was filling up with water. What do these dreams mean? I don't know. Dreamed I was on an Israeli airplane and the Airplane was going down, but it went so slow that we could jump out, and then we could we could go hang out in Jerusalem. I think I was heading out to Jerusalem to have dinner or whatever. Anyway, crazy. You want to have crazy dreams? Go have among the other crazy symptoms you have, and feel like you have the flu and everything. But dreams, dreams, dreams. What do they mean? Woo. Well, Daniel has his dreams, and they are beastly. You just notice the language there? A lion with eagle's wings, a bear with ribs in its mouth, a four-headed leopard with four birds' wings, a terrifying beast with iron teeth and ten horns with a talking horn, formidable, imposing, not just beast mode, but strange beasts. And yet there's something else. There's something else if you listened. Beastly as the beasts were, listen, the lion's wings are torn off and the lion is lifted from the ground 
A human mind is given to it. The bear is raised up. It is told what to do. The leopard is given authority to rule. These big baddies have things done to them. They may be big, bad, and beastly, but they are not in charge, really. The beasts are real, but they are ruled. And then there is this fourth beast. It's not given an animal name, but it's the most devastating of them all. It crushed and devoured its victims. Underfoot, trampling underfoot whatever was left. Ten horns. Horns uh, in the ancient Near East represent power and strength. And this little horn described at the end of verse 8 sounds like one individual. So, beasts and horns who go about flesh-eating, ruling, devastating, crushing, Lion, eagle, bear, ribs, leopard wings combination, probably reflecting belief in birth omens. In ancient Mesopotamia, if something was weird and strangely combined, it suggested something bad is going to come down. So people who knew this tradition of birth omens would hear of these strange creatures and go, uh-oh. All is not well. So the text is clear with its uh-oh, but that's not all we get. Never all we get in Daniel. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Beasts and talking horns ain't all there is. <laughs> Even as this pesky little horn yaps away, there is way more happening. There are thrones, plural, probably referring to the divine council tradition of the Old Testament in which angelic attendants and messengers attend to the one true God. The ancient of days, verse 9, takes the throne. It's God, God the Father. White hair, giving a sense of God's splendor. Fire combines a sense of God's awesomeness with a sense of God's judgment. The court is seated. The books were opened. God, the awesome judge, is about to hold court in a chaotic world over that chaotic world. So we should never fret in a freaked out, flipped out world. The Ancient of Days, God Almighty, is ever presiding. This is evident because of verse 11, even as the little horn is still, is still talking smack and spewing its prideful words, the big, bad, scary fourth beast is slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The first three beasts have power stripped from them, though they get to live. However big and bad and scary, worldly, Entities may be, however ominous they may look, and some of them look incredibly ominous, don't they? 
Worldly beasts are never ultimate. Someone else is in play, and Daniel sees him and wants us to see him too. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every nation worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Right at the center of the scariest stuff there is, Daniel gets a vision of great news. The great news is not a bigger, badder beast to beat the other beasts down. That's not the plan. The plan is for one like the Son of Man. So improbable. Contrast to these beastly entities, this is one who looks like the Son of Man, basically means man, it's human. One like the Son of Man, looks human. And then also, he's coming on the clouds, which means he's not merely human. He's not merely one more political or military leader. In the Old Testament, coming on the clouds is a sign of the supernatural. So we have here, the good news is a supernatural man divine approaching God and being given authority, glory, and sovereign power and all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Well, this verse Daniel 7.13 is the verse from the book of Daniel that the New Testament quotes most often. This person, one like the Son of Man, appears before God in human form and is himself from heaven. And here he is being coronated, made king. Never forget who our king is. Jesus constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man in the, New Testament, in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 26, Jesus talks about the final days and the last judgment. And he says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels, gatherers elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. One scholar puts it this way, nothing could be clearer than that Jesus himself regarded Daniel 7.13 as predictive of himself, and that the two elements, like a son of man, human, and with the clouds of heaven, divine, combine to constitute Messiah, messianic title. Jesus Christ is the one who comes from the clouds. He is always and forever large and in charge. As Daniel tells us that and affirms that, though, he does not skimp on describing the beasts. And here we have what one could call a Judeo-Christian realism. Judeo-Christian realism. Four kings are going to rise from the earth. Specifically, some scholars believe that the beasts referred to here represent the Babylonians, Medians, the Purge, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, under Alexander the Great. There are debates about which kingdoms fit these images best. Some think Rome is the fourth empire. Then there's this other king after the ten kings represented by the ten horns in verse 24. 
After which there's this really, really, really bad king. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. One interpretation of this is that this refers to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was a really, really bad ruler who came. He tried to change laws and customs of the Jews, and the Jews saw him as a terrible blasphemer. In 173 B.C., his coin said Theos Epiphanos, which which is Greek for God manifest. He persecuted the Jewish faithful. He forbade the Sabbath or other Jew, and other Jewish feast days. His agents in Judea tore up and burned any copies of the law of Moses they could find. It's a bad dude. Of course, there's other bad kings who would fit these stereotypes too. And more and more, I'm thankful and persuaded by evangelical Bible scholar Ian Provan up at Regent College. He's a great Scottish Bible scholar up there. And he... He says a lot of times these, these descriptions of bad kings in the Old Testament, they're like, they're like the black hats of Westerns, you know? There's a certain stereotype, and they're there, and they're all over the place in the Old Testament. And there were other people, Dr. Provence says, who were just as bad as Antiochus Epiphanes. Provence suggests that, uh, as well, this time, two times and half a time, could be interpreted as three and a half years, which is just about the amount of time that Antiochus Epiphanes interrupted the daily sacrifices in the temple. So there are real similarities. We can almost get there. We can just about get there with seeing this this, uh, nasty little horn at the end being Antiochus Epiphanes. Except there is a problem. In verse 24, we read about the fourth kingdom when 10 kings rise from it, and then after them, Another one arises who puts down three kings. If you try to apply this to Antiochus, you'll find that Antiochus only had seven predecessors to his dynasty rather than ten. And it's difficult unless you incorporate the people who were maybe almost, who were entitled to the throne. So you can, you can fix that. But a lot of times with these theories of matching particular kings, these particular um, uh, beasts, it gets a little bit tricky, and it's like it's like building an engine. You're left over; with, you, we're still left over with some parts at the end, right? Doctor Provence suggests that maybe we should not try to tie down the biblical image with direct historical references. He says, "Well, if God wanted to be so specific, He would have been more clear than the text lets us do, than the text allows us to be." And he warns against making the text fit a theory that you bring to the text before you, you let the text just be what it is. But Provan isn't worried about historical precision here because he doesn't think here, in, right in this spot in Daniel, that the author's intent is to project in the future directly, specifically. He thinks there's more of that coming. There is prediction coming in 8 through 12 of chapter of Daniel. But here, he thinks that it's more of a general interpretation, that it's meaning this, quote, the reader should realize that when awful kingdom is succeeded by awful kingdom, there will be an ending, and the ending will be the beginning of the kingdom of God. That that's the point, and there's a well-known Hebrew narrative pattern where you state three things and then a fourth to put emphasis on the exceeding wickedness about the fourth item mentioned so it intensifies every time, this beast and this beast and this beast, and then there's that beast. And that's the whole idea, is you're intensifying the idea of wickedness here. 
I, I appreciate that interpretation because you can chase in circles trying to figure out all the historical details. And some have tried to do it. We get very close with Antiochus Epiphanes. Could well be that that was the guy. But either way, this word of God points us to the idea that evil is real in the world. Evil is progressive and on the move. And it's, it gets worse and worse. And despite all of that, God rules and God wins in the end. Surely this is the point when Daniel gets a little one-sentence summary when he first asks for the interpretation. They say, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. That's the point. So as everyone in any sort of oppression waits and bears the weight under it, whether that oppression is from the outside or even the struggles with the inside, we have beasts outside us and we have beasts inside us. There's always hope. And this is our Judeo-Christian realism. As one scholar puts it, whether we like it or not, or understand it or not, the Most High has given a measure of sovereignty to human rulers. As a result, from time to time, history does seem to be in the grip of chaotic, bestial forces. At times, God's people are devastated. Yet it is also true that in history that there have been amazing turnarounds. God works there too. But no matter what, like in earlier in chapter in the, in when Daniel's buddies were thrown in the furnace and they said, whether God delivers us or not, he's still in charge. And that's the great theme of Daniel. No matter what, God may deliver his people, God can. You may have a terrible thing happen no matter what, though. God is with you and for you. And in the end, we can be assured that we have a Lord on the throne in Jesus Christ who has faced the beasts. Even death himself, the greatest beast of all, death itself. And yet he remains faithful to God the Father and his mission. He faced death itself and rose, slaying the greatest beast of all. And through Christ and in Christ, in relationship with Christ, we too can be faithful as we face the world's beasts and our own beasts, if it's addiction, depression, discouragement, family pain coming up for the holidays. Someone said to me the other day, you can't choose your family, <laughs> you know, and because everyone, you know, everyone has struggles now, especially maybe now more than ever. The beast, the fury, can you sense the beastliness going on in our own nation right now? This is why it is helpful as Dr. Pravan does, a step back. He's not against prophecy per se. He sees prophecy coming at the end of Daniel. But here he's thinking Daniel's painting a more of a general picture that he's then, gonna, he's then gonna apply to the prophecies later on in Daniel. But here we take this idea that, hey, beast after beast after beast after beast, and guess what? Jesus still rules. The sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. John Calvin says basically that Christ is our king and so he puts his throne among us and shares his power with us. Calvin says that language which is exclusively appropriate to Christ is transferred to us because we have intimate connection with him, a deep relationship with him as our leader. This is how it all turns out. 
we get a preview of the end of the movie here. We, as the Messiah's people, will ultimately receive the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven. Verse 27. How wild this promise must have sounded to the people of Israel as they were in exile. One day it would all end. Really? Yes, really. But for now, you have to trust him. You have to look up and trust. And I think in our world right now, this frees us so that as we work to be labor in Christ in our out-of-control world, we don't need to do that out of our reptile brains, out of our reactive brains, right? Out of our, out of our fight or flight, flee from the bear brains. There's a part of our brains that's meant for us to run from bears, you know, and hide when we're under threat. That's not the part of our brains that God made for us to be uh, successful as his people in society. That part of our brains is the part of our brains that helps us solve problems, think through things, be non-reactive but responsive. Well, when you know where the end is going to come, when you know who's really in charge, that frees you and me to work best, to almost work in, out of rest, to work, to labor out of that soul rest. That's when we work best trusting fully in the one who reigns and rules and will come to set things right, whatever tomorrow brings. There is no better antidote to living in fear of the beasts than to worship the one who rules them. May it be so for me and for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.